Heavenly Father, we, we do want to lean into your love for us. We've been distracted this week by many things, lots of, uh, lots of events, lots of people trying to grab our attention. We've also been violated and hurt and damaged this week, and, and that kind of tracks us down as well. But Lord, we want to lean instead into your grace, into your mercy. So we pray, God, that you'd meet us there. Help us, God, to have uncluttered hearts that worship you well, serve you well. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. You're going, boy, that was a long stand. <clears throat> Forgive me, because if you don't, God will throw you into hell. Okay, that. Let's close in prayer. That's the message today. No, it's obviously not the message today. Uh, but we are going to talk about forgiveness today and how important it is. Uh, before we dive right into that, I think it was mentioned last week that uh, I wasn't here as that Mountain View, but did they mention the fact that uh, Karen and I, we've taken a call to pastor a church in Spokane, Washington? Thank you. I'm excited. Um, it's, it's both re- refreshing and, wow, God's will for our life has kind of opened up in front of us, but now, now my life is very cluttered. And so... Uh, so many things, you've got to get out of this house, got to sell this house, get out of this house, find a house, move into that house, get everything transferred and over, get vehicles, get pets, get family. Uh, I'm just kind of overwhelmed right now with the clutter of life. And we're in this series called Decluttering. I go, right, like that's even going to happen for me. Uh, my garage is just going to be a disaster. Like I've got this picture here. This is a uh, stock picture of, it's not my garage. My garage is much worse than this. A uh, stock picture of a cluttered garage. Do any, any of you have clutter in your life, clutter in your house? I, I, yes, I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand, yes. Um, why do we have clutter? Because this is what's happening to me already. Yesterday, I was, I was cleaning out my books, and my, my daughter says to me, uh, bless her heart, she goes, Dad, you really, how many of these books are you going to read between now and when you get up to, to, to Washington State? Oh, probably a dozen or so. Right, not going to read any. Pack them, pack them, pack them. Do you really need to keep that book? Bill, you're 58 years old. Are you really going to read that book again? It's time to get rid of these books. I can't let that go. I can't let it go. Then we're going to walk through the house and go, what about that thing? Oh, it's got memories. What about that thing? Oh, I might need it again. It's an old washer from a previous dishwasher. I know, but you never know. So I've got to keep that. I've got to keep it. And we do this, and we end up with this clutter of stuff. Why? Because we just can't let go of stuff. We've got to hold on to stuff. Some of you have learned, the, learned how to declutter. Good for you. The rest of us are struggling. But even more than that, on the inside, you have clutter. You have internal clutter. Is your garage full of stuff? Are there things that have happened in your life you just have not letting go of? Are there, are there people who violated you 20 years ago who you still are frustrated with? Who if you bumped into them at Home Depot, it would be awkward because there's still stuff. Are you still frustrated right now with the spouse you're sitting next to because of what took place yesterday or the day before or the last week or for the past 20 years? or for the past 50 years? Are you still so mad at Hillary, or Barack, or Nancy, or Donald, or Mitch? Are you, do you just, do you have this clutter on the inside that keeps you even from being able to peacefully enjoy things? The word of God has something for us today. 
that hopefully will unclutter our garages, our internal garages, and give us peace. And it's this story about the... It's a story about the unmerciful servant from Matthew chapter 18. We've heard it already, but let's walk through the story again because it's a great one. Just want to point out some of the details. And then hopefully we can learn how to let go of some things like the unmerciful servant was unable to. So it says in verse 21, Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, and this is the English Standard Version. I love the translation of this passage because it points out something, a little nuance here. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him. As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or some translations are seven times 70 times. In other words, two things. First of all, how often will my brother sin against me? Over and over and over and over. In other words, you're going to have to be a forgiving person over and over. It's going to happen. That's because that's who we are as human beings. The person next to you, turn to, turn to them and go, hey, you're a sinner, aren't you? Yeah, you're going to violate me pretty soon. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's life. It's like a surprise to us at this point. We blunder. We poke each other. Like, like porcupines on a cold winter night is the church of God. It's porcupines, they can't stand to be separate because they need the warmth of one another on the freezing cold, but then they bump into each other and they just hurt each other. And they get tired of each other and they pull away again. And then, oh, I'm freezing. And then I come back. That's life in the church. Over and over, we're going to have to be forgiving people. But also, uh, not only are you going to be sinned against, but you're going to need to forgive over and over. But I have my limits, Jesus says. That's the problem. You can't. Does God have his limits? No. Do you want to forgive like God? Yes. Then should you have limits to your forgiveness? No. But I think I do. And that as soon as I hit the limit of forgiveness, that's when I start holding the grudge. So Jesus' word to Peter is, you got to let go. And you've got to do it seven times 70, and you keep, keep doing it. And then Jesus busts into this parable. In light of that little conversation, Jesus says, i got a story for you. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. By the way, just real quick, our God is an account settler. We say that in the Apostles' Creed every week. Thence he will come to judge the living and the dead when he returns. Jesus is one who is going to settle all accounts. And he calls us to be account settlers. Remember in Matthew chapter 5, he says, make sure that you settle your accounts on your way to court. Settle out of court. Otherwise, you're going to end up in court and you're going to have to pay the last penny. Jesus wants us to be people who settle our accounts, make quick accounts, make short accounts, and you should have no ledger lines with anybody. God is doing this. He's settling his accounts. And if you're not an account settler, if you're an account holder, if you're Ebenezer Scrooge emotionally and you're going to exact pennies out of people, you're not like your father because your father is one who wants to settle accounts. And the way our God settles accounts is by a cross and a resurrection, which is, which is marvelous. So kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants going on. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, I don't know what that is. What's 10,000 talents? A little math for you. You might have heard of a denarii. A denarii was the old Roman uh, piece of money. It was a single coin worth about a day's wages. So uh, one denarii is a day's wage. A hundred denarii then would be three months' wages, which would be about $10,000 for us. 
without minimum wage. 6,000 denarii then would be a talent. That's like $60,000. That'd be a bunch of money. Uh, 10,000 talents then. He began to settle what was brought to him. He owed him $6 billion. <laughs> That's what 10,000 talents is like in our, in our $6 billion. So it's almost like Jesus. You might be thinking Jesus is just telling a wild and crazy story. But there was a man, and this guy owed him $6 billion. Right. Right, like $6 billion. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. And the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything, which is ridiculous to even say, right? I'll scrape up that $6 billion. You'd have to be on the top 10 of the Forbes, Forbes richest people in the world to ever be able to pay this back, ever. So... But he wanted to. The heart is there, right? I want to repay. Please have patience with me. I'll do my best to repay everything. (coughs) And then out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him, released him and forgave him the debt. Can you imagine? I'm not just going to drop the debt maybe to $1 billion. I'm going to just forgive a $6 billion debt and just let you go. That is complete forgiveness. And it's kind of ridiculous. You might think, well, is Jesus just speaking in hyperbole here? Like, no one would ever forgive that much of a debt. He's just using six billion, just like we would say, this guy owed him a gazillion dollars. Or is it reality? What do you think? You think your sin costs six billion dollars? Or do you think, no, my sin is just a couple bucks. I've made a few mistakes here and there, but it's no big deal for God to forgive me because I'm not that bad. Or do you think your debt is more like a $6 billion debt? We'll come back to that. I believe it's reality. I think that these numbers, these numbers are actually inaccurate because what is it going to cost for you to be forgiven? The blood of Jesus' son? The parable says you need to sell yourself and family in order to pay off the debt. God's going to pay the debt by selling his son into the slavery of this world's slavery unto death so that we can live. What's the price tag on the crucifixion of God? Six billion is a bargain. So I don't think this is hyperbole, even though it might have sounded like hyperbole to those, uh, to those original listeners. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay, again, back to our, uh, back to our uh, understanding of these numbers here. I was just forgiven $6 billion, and you owe me ten k, $10,000, that's still a lot of money. That's a significant debt, though it's one six hundred thousandth of what he was just forgiven, 0.000002% of what he was just forgiven. Seizing him, he began to choke him and say, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me and I'll pay you. He refused and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Does that seem like an injustice to you? Why? It's $10,000 debt. He won't pay it back. What happens? You bring the law down. What's the law? Law is you go to prison. All this 
unmerciful servant was saying was, you owe me money and you know the deal. It's in the contract. You should now go to prison for this. In other words, we've got to follow the laws. Okay, I'm going to meddle a little bit and you're going to get mad at me. It's all right. I, I survived the first service. See if it, so it happens again. We as uh, followers of Christ, we have the word of God which paints a picture of life being lived well and there are certain rules and regulations that we believe that we should follow those things. We would like to see the country around us follow a lot of those principles. And as conservatives, when it comes to things like uh, immigration, I hear a lot of well-meaning Christian people say things like, it's the law. You've got to follow the law. I don't care what's going on with your family or whatever. You've got to follow the law. And the law is good. The law was placed there. We as collectively have placed the laws there for the sake of good, good uh, society. And so, yeah, we should follow the law. We do that with one another, too. The Bible says this, so we should follow those laws. We should, we should live like that. Should we live like that? I, I think we should. But the unmerciful servant had just come out of a meeting with his master where that master said, we're not going to live according to the letter of the law. We're going to live according to mercy and grace now. And he goes, thank God. And immediately he walks out and enters back into the realm of the law and says, you owe me. It's the law. Sorry, got to do it. And he starts being exacting once again. We look at it as unjust in light of what? In light of the grace he just received. But is it really unjust in light of what is really just happening? Well, maybe not the choke him part. You should never choke somebody. I don't care how much money they owe you. But you do owe me money, and prison is the sentence. But the master is going to turn to this man and say, you want to jump into that world? Christians, do you want to jump into that world? Do we really want to be people who live in the world of the machinery of laws? Or do you want to live in a world of mercy, in a world of grace, a world of compassion? Because God, the giver of the law, chose to uphold the law in himself and then give mercy to everybody else. Can we do the same? Is it really injustice, an injustice for this man to desire his money back? It's not, but the master is not going to be pleased with his exactness. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Just a couple real brief notes here. You might be a grumpy, unforgiven person who holds grudges, and you might think, that's just between me and the person I have an issue with. I go, no, it's not. Especially if you bear the name of Jesus, and you bear the name of Christian, or if you bear the name of member of Shepherd of the Desert. If you're out there being grumpy and, and saying at the same time, I'm a follower of Christ, it reflects on all of us. So the servants looked at this guy and said, hey, we're servants of yours, master. We're all in this together. And did you know that this is happening? Because this doesn't look like you. You are the graceful one, and this is what's happening here. And so what goes on in the privacy of your own heart, the grudges that you keep? Number one, God is going to hold you accountable to those things. Even if you've been forgiven by God through the blood of Jesus Christ, just like this man was forgiven that huge debt, but then he turned around and acted badly, God's going to hold us accountable to those things, just like he's going to hold this man accountable. Which, by the way, brings me to... We prayed the Lord's Prayer a few minutes ago, and there's one word in the Lord's Prayer that is very scary to me, honestly. And it's the word as. 
Do you know what I'm talking about? Where in the Lord's Prayer it says, Forgive me my sins as I forgive the sins of others. Vern, change that slide to the next one. That's what God meant to say. Forgive us our sins way better than we forgive those who sin against us. That's what I need. God, I need you to forgive me not as I forgive others, but I need need there to be a different scale. But what God is saying is that we should pray that our scale be like his. That in this world of grace and mercy and forgiveness, we should be forgiving others as God forgives us. We shouldn't be exacting of others in any way that God is no longer exacting of us. God has poured out mercy on us, and we should be pouring out mercy the same way. It should be an as thing. So when we pray that in the Lord's Prayer, every time I get there, I think, I don't think I'm pulling that one off. God, I need you to forgive me of my unforgiveness. And this prayer charges me with that. Okay, we got to get to the end of the story here. We can't keep going on these sidebars. Here's the crux of it. Jesus finishes his story saying that uh, he's going to be delivered to the jailers. His master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all of that debt because you pleaded with me. And here's our memory verse for the week. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? That's the should. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And as we already mentioned, forgiven, you're still accountable for your action, and that hard word is the as. In the same way that you're going to treat your brother and demand the 10K, perhaps maybe then I should treat you that same way and demand the $6 billion again. Is that how you want to play? Do you want to jump back into the world of exactitude and law following? Or do you want to enter into my world of grace and mercy? Who do you want to be? Ah. Jesus finally says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you. Oh, really? If you do not forgive your brother from the heart, and God ups it a little bit more, because I've heard some people say this, I can forgive, but I'll never forget. To which I say, baloney. That's not forgiveness. If you're still holding it, yeah, I'm forgiven. So I'm mentally forgiven, but in my heart, I can't forget. No, 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 no. I've, in my heart, I've forgiven, but I can't forget it in my mind. No, 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 no. As far as the east is from the west, God takes sins and throws them away. That's the way we're to forgive. Lord, forgive me of my sins as I forgive others. That same brand. We need to be a part of that same branding. And so if you're still holding on, you got clutter. You got a cluttered emotional garage. You just haven't let go of stuff. And it can get so cluttered that you can't even experience the goodness of God. They're so angry about so many things. So in light of this story, we could go a couple of different points. We could go the God's got this point. Paul says, vengeance is, uh, Jesus says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. If it, God's got this. God will fulfill all accounts. You should, you should forgive because God's going to take care of everything. Or you should forgive because, you know what, they're probably doing their best. Cut them a little slack. Have some compassion. 
Or another one is you could forgive them because who are you to judge someone else? Are you the one who should sit on the throne of judgment? All of those things, I think, contain a great deal of truth. But in light of the parable, you should forgive. Why? Because of the way you've been forgiven. Do you think that you're a $6 billion person? Do you think that you've been forgiven that much? Because if you honestly don't, if you go, you know, God's pretty good, and I'm not so good, but the cross of Jesus covers the difference. We talked about this Monday night, man. You got a small cross. But if God is who God is, immortal, invisible, God only wise, and he is fantastic, he is beyond description, beyond measure, beyond what we can ask, think, or imagine, that God, and then if I'm over here, and I think, I am the worst sinner there is. Are you the worst sinner? No, the person next to me is worse than me. Really? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, great little book. If you want to get your life all messed up, read this book, Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He has this to say. Take a look at this quote. One extreme thing must be said. To forego self-conceit and to associate with the lowly means in all soberness and without mincing the matter to consider oneself the greatest of sinners. But this arouses all the resistance of the self-confident Christian. It sounds like an exaggeration, like an untruth. Like when you read that Paul says, I am the greatest of all sinners, you go, yeah, he's, he's just preaching. That's a good, good reference. You call yourself the, the greatest of all sinners. But there's worse than you, Paul. We all know that. We all know that you're kind of kidding. You're just saying that. Or do you think Paul really believed it? I believe Paul really believed it because he understood who God is and what he did what he had done. Well, Paul killed Christians. I never did anything like that. You're still not getting it. I'm sorry, I keep preaching. Let Dietrich preach here. Even Paul said of himself that he was the foremost of sinners. There can be no genuine acknowledgement of sin that does not lead to this extremity. If my sinfulness appears to me to be in any way smaller or less detestable in comparison with the sins of others, I am still not recognizing my sinfulness at all. You just don't get sin if you don't realize that you're the worst of all sinners. But I'm not the worst. So you still don't get it. And he explains, my sin is, of necessity, the worst, the most grievous, the most reprehensible. Brotherly love will find any number of of extenuations for the sins of others. Only for my sin is there no apology whatsoever. Do you get that? You go, that guy made a mistake, but you know, maybe that guy had a troubled pack background, or maybe he was just trying hard, but he made a miss. Maybe, maybe he's not all that bad all the time, but you know better about yourself. You know that you sin, and there's no excuse for it. The, the hammer falls hardest on yourself when you do appropriate self-evaluation by the Word of God, not on somebody else. And once you realize that, you go, I am. I am the worst. Therefore, my sin is the worst. He who would serve his brother in the fellowship must sink all the way down to these depths of humility. And folks, that is the church. When people walk in and are a part of Shepherd of the Desert, they should walk into a place where everybody's scrambling for the lowest rung on the ladder. Everyone realizes that I got, I got nothing. I'm just lucky to be here. I've been, I'm a $6 billion forgiveness person. And that's not even hyperbole. The price God paid for me, I, who am I 
who, who, come on, I love you. I the problem is, is that we get cluttered in our garages, our emotional garages, and we start holding grudges and we get frustrated and we start having levels of self-righteousness and then this starts to happen. Here's where I'm, I'm, I'm just, well, I'm leaving, right? So I'm, uh, I'm a, a temporary pastor here and uh, I've taken a call somewhere else and so my car is idling in the back here so I, could, I can say whatever I want, right? Shepherd of the Desert Lutheran Church, what a fantastic place. I've met some of the most incredible people here. I mean, hang out at the Skeptical Chemist on Monday night, and you'll find a group of men so great, people who want to follow hard after Jesus, a great history at this place, a great facility in a great location, and the best tradition, the LCMS. It's this classical Lutheran Christianity. It has everything going for it heading into its future. I just can't wait to see it, except, here, Vern, zoom in a little bit. Ah, there's clutter. There's some clutter. And here, our guest, forgive me here, we're going to talk a little bit about our dirty garage. There's people in this fellowship who are still so mad, so mad that the school closed, and I'm not going to let that go. I'm so mad about that other campus down there playing that rock and roll music. I'm I'm mad. I'm not going to let that go. I'm so mad that previous pastors made decisions that they made, and I'm so mad that certain people are being allowed to do certain things, and I'm so mad about the worship styles. I'm so mad that they still play the organ. I mean, I'm so mad that they don't play the organ enough. I'm so frustrated with this and so frustrated with that, and we'll have a worship service in here, and we will touch of fellowship with one another, the love of one another, and we'll go to the word of God, which, is the, which, which allows us to participate in the divine nature of God, and then we'll come to the table and we'll taste of the body and blood of Jesus, and we'll worship and we'll praise and we'll have, we'll have all of this. We don't deserve any of it, and God pours himself out upon us, and we look at each other, and then we walk out the door, and people will stop me in that doorway with the most inane complaint about something. And I'll think, your garage is cluttered. How could you just have spent that time with God and with one another and still be carrying that out the door when we're supposed to be forgiving and forgiven people? And yet you carry that out and you're going to walk all the way out to the parking lot with that thing and bring it back next week. And you know what? This church has got to be great for the sake of the kingdom of God and the LCMS on the east side of Phoenix. It has got to be fantastic, and it has everything going for it except maybe one thing. Can this church get itself uncluttered and get out from under itself? Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, we press on to the upward call of Christ Jesus. But I just think that there's people here who go, I'm not forgetting what lies behind. I am still hacked off about these things. And as long as that's there, your garage looks like this. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, show them a complete makeover. Could it happen? Could this church just be so full of forgiveness, full of letting go, and just go, just stop it. That was yesterday. Just, do we have God? Do we have the, do we have the scriptures? Do we have, do we have the table? Do we, we've got everything going for us. 
unless we get stumbled by our clutter. Memory verse for this week. Should we not have had mercy on our fellow servants as I had mercy on you? God has cast all of your sins away. Will you let the sins of others in this place go so we can move into a future? And some of you are going, I can't. I'm still so mad and somebody's got to pay for it. I go, as long as that happens, we're dead. Jesus died to purge us from that, to unclutter us from that. Could it happen? Could it? I, I, I hear a yes. I, I hope that inside you're going, yes. And some of you are going, yes. That moron over there has got to get over himself. <laughs> What are you carrying? What's in your garage? That's the church's garage, but the church is made up of a bunch of little garages, and it's yours. What are you carrying? Does your garage look like that? Relational, no bad accounts? You bump into anybody on this planet, you're good? If not, let's declutter. Marriages. Are you frustrated with your spouse? Do you have a long list of things? Do you both have your list and you bring them out at key fighting times to confront one another with, well, yeah, you did this, but yeah, you did this. If you, if you, you going to cl- get rid of that clutter? Boy, when we do, that's life in Christ. Can't wait to taste that life. And I hope that that's the future of this place. Would you pray for me, please? With me and for me. That'd be good, too. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we... Uh, We are astounded at your generosity and your mercy in this story. Six billion dollars, Lord. Your mercy covers us. And we say to you right now, perhaps by faith, perhaps we know that we've got a heart that isn't all the way into this prayer, but we're going to try to pray it. Lord, we want to be in your world of grace and mercy. We want to release those around us from the bonds of our unforgiveness. And oh, how we'd like to be released from the unforgiveness of others. Could you declutter this place by a wind of your Holy Spirit, the truth of your word? We want to be clean people, just like Jesus was clean, clear conscience, pure heart, sincere faith. Could you build that into us, God, so that the world will see what kingdom reality really looks like on the inside? that they would taste of the grace of this place and find the mercy of God in the proclamation of your word here in this place. Forgive us, God, for our clutter. Work with us, Lord, to get it out of there because that is even another level of your grace to not only forgive us of our sins but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We'll take it and we want it. We pray you'd bless us with that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.